Let me be one of the very first, if not the first, since it's a day early, uh, more than likely, when you are listening to this episode. Merry Christmas, happy holidays to you and yours from the Agency Freedom Podcast. I am your host, James Jenkins. This is where we take our listeners from captive to indie to market domination. Welcome to episode 34, boys and girls. My gift to you is none other than Mr. David Carruthers. Uh, This episode, he and I uh, share a lively conversation on how to elevate the caliber of people that you are working with in 2022. David is an inspiration to many. Uh, He is uh, the cover person uh, for the Independent Agent Magazine in the month of December 2021. Uh, And he is probably working with bigger clients than you are certainly working with bigger clients than I am. Uh, David and I really get into some interesting dialogue on how you can start to level up the prospect, the caliber of accounts that you are calling on and working and winning in 2022. Because wherever you are, uh, you have the opportunity to start to move in the direction where your average account revenue is higher. So we're gonna jump right into that uh, after the bumper. You're probably not at the office as much over the next several days. It's a great opportunity to catch up on the back catalog because we now have 34 episodes of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Might be a good time to go back and catch one of those you haven't listened to, depending on when you joined us uh, in uh, the time this year. So let's go ahead and hit that bumper and do episode 34 with Mr. David Carruthers. Let's go. There are two kinds of people in the insurance industry those who are captive and those who are free this is the agency freedom podcast there is so much i wish i would have known before i made the freedom jump to the independent side i mean even now i feel like i'm learning something new every single month we're all about helping insurance agency owners and sales professionals reach your maximum potential and flex your freedom My team and I replaced six years of captive agency revenue in 17 months with Riskwell. 17 months, man, it's crazy. This show is where I share our successes, our failures, and what I've learned along the way. We lay out a blueprint of how to make your freedom jump from captive to indie to market domination. I'm bringing you colleagues from markets across the country with dozens of different specialties. They're eager to share their stories and best practices with you. I'm your host, James Jenkins. Welcome to Agency Freedom Podcast. Let's go. Hey folks, James Jenkins here. It's another episode of the Agency Freedom Podcast. Uh, This is, I believe, going to be our last episode uh, of the year. And I've got a special treat here because this is an ad hoc really unplanned conversation with my older brother, uh, definitely one of my uh, mentors in the game, Mr. David Carruthers. And I reached out to David and asked him if he'd be willing to spend a, you know, probably close to an hour with me talking about how to get ready to level up in 22. If you've ever listened to David's podcast, the Power Producers podcast, uh, you have probably realized very quickly the level of dialogue is at a different place than most podcasts. Uh, David and his guests assume that you have a certain existing body of knowledge to be able to be actionable on a lot of the things that David talks about. Uh, So I wanted to bring him on to AFP to help a lot of you guys that are either still in the captive world or you're early in your IA journey or you're not really doing uh, that much commercial stuff right now and just have a shop talk conversation on how in the world do you get started moving in the right direction so that you can be a year from now, two, three years from now, one of these cold-blooded killer kind of people to use the the lingo of David's program to get that point, uh, to to that point uh, in your operation. Because from a lot of people that I talk to, David, I'm sorry, this is the longest intro ever. You're good. there There is this attitude of, yeah, that's great for them. I have no idea how to even begin getting to that point. Uh, I'm thinking of, you know, someone like a Jeremy Powers in South Carolina, who is an accomplished agent, very good at what they do. Uh, But he himself said, 
I don't even know where to get started moving that direction. You know, so that is really what David and I are going to talk about here. Uh, there is really no agenda. I don't have a list of questions. This is a conversation that you get to be a fly on the wall for. So I hope you enjoy. Uh, David, thanks for hopping on, man. You know, this is a crazy podcasting day for me. So I had you reached out to me this morning and we had no intention of recording, which means this will probably turn into an epic podcast because the unplanned are always better than the planned, in my opinion. But I literally, yes. I recorded with a couple of guys this morning on the Insurance Disruptors podcast, and it already got published. Like, it's not even been what? three hours. It's already out. <laughs> I, think, what? I saw that I was tagged on LinkedIn and all of this other stuff, and I'm like, wait a minute, fellas, what's going on? <laughs> That's like the fastest I've ever seen somebody turn one around. That is crazy. No, I, I mean, I don't do my, my editing and distribution, and you don't either. Thank you, Cass and, uh, and Sarah's team. Three hours after recording, it's published? No, somebody yeah, think, was eager to get that out, man. Yeah, I think I think that the, it has to do with the fact they record in Zoom, and I don't know that they're pushing to podcast channels. Maybe they're just on YouTube for right now, but mm. the YouTube video is up. I had a good time with them too. It was a good conversation. So I'm just going to give you a warning coming in. I'm already I'm already coming in hot. I got warmed uh, up. You know what I think about that? The email that I sent you not even an hour ago, you know, talking about this uh, this online uh, boot camp that you're planning for uh, the end of the year here. My only requirement is that you promise me you come in juiced up. Oh, I will. That was a heck of a lot of fun in Tampa. Yeah, no, we're going to make it fun for everybody, and then we're going to make it to where those who can't come live have the ability to get access to that, you know, in perpetuity. So it'll be good. Okay. Content well, then I, I'm just going to pull intention. an audible here based on what you just said. I'm not going to make this the last, last episode of the year. Cause I want people to be able to take action on the workshop. We'll make this the second to last episode. So this will drop as crazy as it sounds. This will drop like Christmas Eve morning. Uh, so anybody who's sitting at home trying to get their podcast fixed is going to listen to this episode. So um, real quick, do you have any idea when or or how people get access to this? So they go to killingcommercial.com? Yeah, we're actually putting the website up uh, or landing page up right now. We're just going to repurpose the one we did for innovation. So it'll be on the killingcommercial.com website and there will be a link from the main page to get there. Um, in a very prominent location and you'll be able to get all the information on the speakers, the content we're talking about and all of that, but we're going to do this live. Um, and the reason why is because I feel like people need the ability to ask questions and all mm -hmm. of that. And so, um, you know, I can't do it live, you know, a couple of, couple of times a month, I can do it live once, record it, and then we'll figure out how we can uh, repurpose and redistribute that content and then warehouse that somewhere where people can access it anytime they want if they need to go back and refer or whatever. Awesome. Yeah, so go ahead. If you're listening to this, and I think it almost certainly, well, let me just make sure I get my dates right here. I think that Friday is Christmas Eve. Yes, it is. So you're listening to this episode on Christmas Eve or shortly thereafter. So visit killingcommercial.com, check the link and participate in this uh, commercial boot camp. I'm sure there'll be some small fee to help make sure that everything is, you know, we're not just getting some tire kickers coming in, clogging up the chat line. Uh, there'll be some you know, kind of a nominal honestly, fee. Honestly, there is. There is going to be a fee. I'm not going to hide behind that. What I learned is when you give somebody something for free, regardless of what the value is, they don't respect the fact that your time is still being tied up in that. Um, yep. And I'm not saying that, look, I get I get it that plans change at the last minute. And we've certainly been in a fluid environment with COVID and everything else. But you know, the people that come are going to get the same treatment that the people who came to the live version uh, pre-innovation in Tampa, Florida got with the exception of the aquarium party. And, mm -hmm. you know, James, if you want, you know, you could do your Sinatra karaoke. Um, as that part was of for your you only, baby. <laughs> that, that was that was for your benefit, you and your bride. Yeah, but no, we're going to send out the T-shirts and the workbooks and everything just like we did for the people who were there. So it'll be awesome. it'll be the real deal. Do you have an idea what that fee is going to be? Somebody's going to ask me. Is it, what yeah, one ninety nine ninety nine? I think probably one ninety nine is what we're leaning towards. I mean, Sweet. listen, people, if you can't get one hundred ninety nine bucks back from this crew, what the heck are you doing? I mean, I don't have anything to say other than yes. So, uh, <laughs> for sure, awesome. Um, so that I didn't even plan for that because I literally just changed the published date of this episode so people can take advantage of that. So awesome. Uh, you're thinking it's going to be sometime between Christmas and New Year's, right? It like will the be 27th, December twenty eighth. 
28th. We, we have that. Yeah, we have that locked in. It is going to be the 28th. It will go all day. Um, for okay. people like you that are presenting, you can stay for as much or as little as you want, as long as you give me that time slot that you uh, you're going to be speaking at. Awesome. Yeah. So mark your calendar, Tuesday, December 28th. Uh, David's uh, commercial boot camp is ready. Uh, even if you went to the thing in Tampa, there's definitely more value coming out. Uh, I noticed you said that Mr. Sedlak was going to get uh, more airtime, which definitely feels uh, fair. I, I felt bad for him in Tampa because uh, he kind of got the short end of the stick with the microphone time. Uh, but that dude can bring the fire as well as anybody. So I'll definitely be paying attention to that one. So Absolutely. awesome. Um, cool. So David, anybody who is listening to this has already heard you at least uh, twice um, with Brandon Smith's episode and then with our Brainshare Party uh, episode. Uh, so you can skip the intro. Anybody listening to this, if you don't know who David is, then dig out from under your rock and go and listen to the other two episodes that he's been on for AFP. Uh, so when when we try to get someone from the position of captive agent, which I mean, I was there. I remember how clueless I was when I was a captive agent. I was an above average captive agent back in the day. Uh, gosh, the first 30 episodes of your podcast that I listened to, I'm sitting there literally writing down things that I don't know what they are. I don't know what uh, an experience modification worksheet is. I have no idea uh, why someone would care about uh, you know, risk engineering for property exposures. There, there's so many things that I have gained from the guests that you've had on your podcast. Uh, but when you think about how to get someone started in the process of being completely clueless, being a, a neophyte, cute little baby agent in the independent world, how does someone even begin to get their headspace in the right location to move in the direction of being a cold-blooded killer? Well, they got to forget everything they know. I mean, I hate to say it that way, but, you know, I think that, and I obviously I'm saying this from a position of never being a captive agent, so I can't be an authority on how, how captive agents think, but my, my interpretation of how captive agents think is that they are selling insurance, right? That that's what their product is. Their product is an insurance policy, a promise to pay in the event of a claim or whatever else. When you move into commercial insurance outside of being a captive, and specifically as you move further and further up the food chain in the commercial insurance world with the middle market, the conversations you have become less and less about the insurance. I mean, the insurance is a given, right? People, people know what I do when I walk in and talk to them. Where I surprise them is when I never talk to them about the insurance. I'm literally talking about their business, the business problems they face, the solutions to those problems and how my agency um, can do that. Well, and from your background, you came from grocery management. Uh, you had an opportunity to step into uh, close to a middle market producer's role uh, with a family agency and then another agency and now Florida Risk Partners. So you remember what it's like to start from zero. So, so talk about that for just a second, because you're, you're successful in the grocery world. You get the opportunity to pivot and come do insurance producing. How did you begin to drink from the fire hose? Do you remember what the first few months looked like? Or did you literally just say, you know what, screw it and jumped in, fake it till you make it, and then just get your body of knowledge up to speed from the checks that your mouth was undoubtedly catching? Yeah, so for me... Um, when I go in on something, I'm all in, right? So it wasn't just about getting my license. I needed to know as much as I possibly could. When I was in the grocery industry, I had the opportunity to get promoted to store manager several times before I actually took it. And the reason why I kept putting it off was because I wanted to know everything that happened in the four walls of the store. I needed to understand how to fry donuts and bake bread. I needed to understand the conversions that happened from taking that bread at the end of its normal shelf life, converting it into croutons, repackaging it, and putting it back out. I needed to understand how a deli operation works, and specifically all the perishable areas of a store, because you can either make or lose a lot of money based on how you run your perishable ops. So I immersed myself. I did every job before I was responsible for it because how would I know how to fix it if I couldn't, if I didn't know? And so when I got in the insurance industry, the closest thing I could do to that was literally go out and get my CIC designation immediately. 
And it wasn't like it is now where you could go online and you can take your course and you can take your tests online and all of that stuff. I drove. I drove all over the southeast part of the U.S. because I didn't have a ton of money. And I took every single module I could so that I could get that designation because I knew that if I had the knowledge, the base knowledge that that gave me, I could bet on myself to figure the rest of it out. And so I got my license. I started my CIC in July and I had it done by December of that same year. So within five months, I had already gotten my designation. Um, and then I was off to the races at that point. I, I probably had a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Probably a false sense of security with the designation because I am a pretty good test taker. Um, yeah. And I can pay attention and I can regurgitate in the short term. Uh, it, but it seemed to stick. I really actually, uh, in a weird, nerdish kind of way, I really enjoyed reading the forms and learning the coverage. It was all new to me. Um, you know, I, I read sales books. I read anything I could to just try and make myself better. But really just going to the National Alliance and getting that CIC was the number one thing, I think, that set me up for success. I, I really couldn't agree more in that regard because – that was part of my story as well, the CIC program from the National Alliance. And for those of you listening, just check out the show notes. I will put a link to the SCIC.com, uh, the website. Uh, they, I think they still have that membership program, right, David? They Where do. Where you can yeah. pay that 700 bucks a year and get unlimited access to institutes. Yeah, absolutely. No. And it's crazy because – so with that, my – all my staff is going through to get their CIC now. So all my producers, my service people, everybody, I have them all getting it because I think it's that valuable. And at 700 bucks, I can have everybody get it within a year for what it would cost me for one person to get it, if, uh, maybe a little bit more um, yeah. over the, the old way of doing it. Um, but it, it's such a good deal. I did it for myself for my own continuing ed because I went in and, you know, I'm always about sharpening the saw, man. I'm never going to think that I know everything. In fact, I know I don't know everything. And so for me to be able to go in and uh, just take the Ruble seminars and, and sit in on those and listen to the people who are way smarter than I am. Look, dude, I sat in one of those rubles one time that was eight hours on additional insured. I don't know if anybody else can come up with a better description of hell than that. But for eight hours, I listened to them talk about all of the varieties of additional insured endorsements and how they apply. And guess what? Mm. I remember all of that. And so now when I'm at the point of sale and where I, where I go, uh, go out and talk to people, it's very easy for me to see those things. But I think we get to a point when we're agents, you know, at least on the independent side, I feel like we get to a point where we feel like we've arrived, you know, like we, then we, then we start pencil whipping our continuing ed. It's, Oh, let me go to this online CE place where I can just skip through all the material and take the test at the end. What did you really do except cheat yourself and your clients? Yeah. I mean, I've been guilty of that a time or two myself. So I, I, I know the average agent is cause obviously uh, I think it's pretty clear that you and I are both a lot, a lot further along than the 50th percentile of anything. Um, so just to recap that, if you're listening to this and you're trying to figure out how do you supercharge your body of knowledge to start to be able to head in the direction of leveling up your account volume, uh, your average premium and revenue per account, uh, CIC is probably the way to go. Uh, I, I think of it as kind of like, uh, you know, remedial education or a requirement if you're going to be a commercial producer, because when you go up against anybody at the alphabet shops, just about every producer has their CIC at that level. Uh, so, I mean, it's kind of required education in my opinion. So, um, Yeah, and here's the guy who just told you to forget about insurance and everything you know and then immediately jump in to get your designation <laughs> with technical insurance knowledge. But you have to do that. You have to know. I mean, look, I'm not saying you don't need to know insurance. I'm just saying you don't need to talk about it. You need to program yeah. yourself to understand that that is no longer the crux of the conversation when you're speaking with a prospect. Well, and I think there is a very important distinction to draw there between skipping insurance and simply assuming that there is a certain level of competency with regards to the commercial insurance because you're definitely going to be exposed if you skip insurance and move straight to risk management if you want to talk with somebody about loss controls but you don't you know know anything about the policy form you don't know about the carriers or anything else you're going to be exposed obviously if, you, if you're lucky enough to stumble into an account or two you're certainly not going to keep them for very long. So <laughs> the, uh, there's no way to cheat the industry, that's for sure. So wh what, is, what does someone do when they're trying to figure out 
In, in the context of the other stuff that we've already talked about, I don't like repeating myself even less than I like repeating what other people in other podcasts have said. So I'm not going to jump back into activity qualifiers and uh, the tech stack and managing your calendar and so many of these things that, that we've already covered in the podcast. Go back and listen to the back calendar if you want to see a catalog, I should say, if you want to hear topics uh, like that. So to, to try to bring something new to the conversation, if someone is looking at their 22 and they are trying to figure out, okay, what got me here won't get me there. What do you think the first step is if we assume that someone has put the effort in and they're working on their body of knowledge? How do they go about elevating their game uh, in 22 regarding the caliber of prospects that they're going after? Should they start with sales and marketing? Should they start with operations, uh, internal processes, uh, CRM, tech stack, whatever, where in your opinion should they start when they're trying to be intentional about leveling up the caliber of prospect they're working with in 22? Well, they, I tell everybody the same thing. And I know you've heard me say this before, but the first thing they've got to do is figure out what their hourly rate is. What are they willing to work for? You know, some people are willing to work for 25 bucks an hour. I'm not, you know, I've, I've put in the time I've, I've worked hard on myself and my skill set from a, both the technical side on the insurance piece, as well as sales. And I'm at a point in my career where I have the luxury of not having to settle for anything less than what I feel my hourly rate is. And I do think that that's one of the benefits uh, that we have. You know, we get to pick and choose who our clients and our prospects are. I don't know too many uh, retail establishments, restaurants, or anything else that you can pick and choose who comes in your front door. You have to deal with them. And then it's always the customer's always right mentality. I don't believe that. I don't think the customer is always right. I think sometimes the customer's dead wrong. And I don't think we should have to suck it up and, and listen to it. You know, I, I had a very interesting conversation with Jonathan on my team, who's, who's our personal lines producer. And he, he and I were having a, a coaching conversation about being more value driven and, and having the right talking points and, you know, how to navigate some of the, uh, you know, the roadblocks that prospects will put up. And he was complaining about so many personalized prospects being transactional in their thinking. And I said, you know, the best way to control that, right? He said, well, what? I said, go out and get your own prospects. Yeah. direct direct traffic and determine you know what channel partner you're going to prospect or try to you know win a referral from or hit up your natural market go to your trade association or ducks unlimited or whatever and find yourself the prospect rather than waiting for the phone to ring or waiting for google to bring you your prospect because at that point you get a lot more control over who you're talking to well, you control the revenue too. And that's the whole thing, man. If you want to work for a certain amount per hour, then you find the accounts that are going to pay you that amount per hour. Look and project what you think the annual revenue on the account's going to be and how much time you're going to have to put into it and then make a quick decision. And I mean, it's not like you have to analyze every single one of them. You know, the problem that we face is most people don't are not able to articulate who their ideal prospect is. It, it just yep. baffles me. And so, you know, when I, when I go out there and I identify my ideal prospect, I can very clearly say that it's a business to consumer business to residential service contractor that has 5 million a year or more in annual sales that has 25 or more vehicles in their fleet, 40 or more employees in an experience modification factor of 1.0 or higher on their workers' comp. And the reason why I know that is because I took the time to research who was going to pay me the most money for my time. And those are great prospects for me. And I can un get into all of the reasons why. I don't think that we need to do that in this forum, but you need to take the time to, to peel back the onion a little bit and figure out who it is you actually want to work with. Are these the types of accounts that are going to take you seriously? Are they going to you know, adopt what you have to say if you make recommendations to them, or are they going to constantly give you pushback? Are you going to get information from them when you need it? Are you going to have access to their people? Because one of the things that we do is we interview people. When we go out and we do a baseline risk assessment on a company, I want to talk to the, the ground level workers, the mid-level workers, and the executive team so I can get everybody's perception of how things are performing in that operation and figure out where my disconnects are so that when it's time for me to meet with the leadership that's going to make the decision to hire me, 
I've got a really well-rounded view of what's going on there. You know, I have to have access to people to be able to do that. And so to me, that's the biggest thing. So many times in the insurance game, when all you're worried about is selling a policy and placing a policy, your entire livelihood is hinging on whether or not you can get information, whether or not you can get access to people, you know, what kind of an underwriter, you know, do you have? Are they going to perform for you? Are you going to get the coverage terms you need? Are you going to get the pricing that you need? I don't know about you, but I'm not really interested in getting hired based on what somebody sitting behind a desk on the other side of the country comes up with in a policy and pricing. I want to get hired first and know that they hired me based on what I can do for their organization. And the insurance is secondary. In my mind and what I, what I teach and preach and everything else, insurance is the funding mechanism for you to be able to afford my value proposition. You can take money you're already spending on buying your insurance from someone else who doesn't do what I do, and you can transfer that to my agency, and we will place your insurance for you, and you will get all of the other things that we laid out, including the solutions to the problems we identified in the baseline. And that really is the whole system right there. You just described it, and and I have adopted that same language in our conversations with the prospect, the, the concept of a funding mechanism of repurposing dollars that are already being spent on just purchasing an insurance product. It's kind of crazy to me how different people act when you are having a value conversation versus a cost conversation and quickly identifying how someone is making their decisions. I, I love the simple question. Other than price, which of course I expect you want a competitive price that is market rate for the kind of business that you are. Let's assume that you want that. Don't tell me price because I already know you want a good price. Other than price, how are you making your decision? What is the one or two factors that are important to you, Mr. or Mrs. Prospect, in how you make this representation decision? Because if it's about an insurance product and you really don't have any options other than price, I don't know if I'm interested in talking to you. Well, here's the so. thing, man, and, and I very intentionally don't use the word price. I use the word cost because cost contemplates more than just premium. Price is premium, and we really don't have, I mean, yeah, we can beat on an underwriter for credits and everything else, but guess what? Many times the least expensive insurance policy in terms of price carries the greatest cost. You don't yep. have coverage. You don't, you know, there's things missing. Your deductible's too high, whatever it is. And at the end of the day, man, it is just, you, you, it, there's so many little nuances that you have to make that once you learn them and you make them part of your vocabulary, but cost goes back to total cost of risk, goes to soft costs associated with losses and all of those things in the average person who you're selling to has no idea what the overall cost is is. Why is that? Well, guess what? I know where you went to high school. I know where I went to high school. I know where you went to college. I know where I went to college. And I can speak from my experience. There wasn't any class at all on any roster that I looked at that was titled how to buy insurance for my business, right? Yep. Nobody knows. There is no formal education for a buyer to buy. Where do they learn? They learn from us. They learn from our behaviors. They learn from our pitches. And so when we get irritated and disgusted that people are constantly beating on us for price and it's a, a jockeying for position 60 to 90 days before renewal and all of the other things that we run through, we're the ones to blame for that. It's never the prospect or the client's fault because we have conditioned them to do business that way. That's one reason why I'm such a huge fan of prospecting a month after somebody renewed. I don't have to worry about the rat race, right? Yep. And knowing what I know about how to go in and measure total cost of risk and all of the other things, what do I really need? I don't need copies of policies. I really don't care what the premium is. You just renewed. I'm not going to be able to do anything about that. But you do have lost data, and that lost data is readily available to you without you contacting your agent. It's up to date and fresh because you just had it to go through the renewal. And if you had a bad renewal, your experience is still fresh in your mind, and I can exploit that to my benefit by calling you a month after renewal and getting you all hot and bothered again to the point you'll meet with me. And guess what happens? Now I can ingrain myself. What's my number one thing I'm going to do? I want to help them get through the audit. 
if I can get in there a month after renewal, I know the audit hasn't happened. I know that's a wedge I can drive. I know the existing agent is going to do absolutely nothing to help them prepare for it. All they do is let them know that it's coming, that they need to comply and sit back and wait, hoping there's additional premium commissions coming into their bank account. Meanwhile, I'll show up and prepare them for the audit, help them get through it. We'll do an audit of their experience modification factor. We'll look to file aggravated inequities. We are ingraining ourselves in a prospect nine months before the next competition's ever going to come. And if we can get in, and it's a big if because it's not you're not going to get nearly the adoption rate of people willing to take the appointment with you a month after renewal. But if you do, you're going to close it 100% of the time. 100%. I don't know that I've ever engaged with a prospect in 20 years of doing this. I don't know that I've ever engaged with a prospect that shortly after renewal that I did not get hired and end up having that relationship for years. Hey, Freedom Jumper. Are you looking to take your business to the next level? Who isn't, right? Write more business and see your agency succeed with NBS. At Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, they understand the challenges local agents face in the constantly changing marketplace. That's why they offer a wide array of personal and commercial markets and policy options to help you meet the needs of your customers, no matter how unique or outlandish they may be. With a team of experienced and dedicated professionals that provide you with the support and guidance you need to see your agency succeed, Nationwide Brokerage Solutions is here to support you every step of the way. Don't just survive in the competitive insurance industry. Thrive with Nationwide Brokerage Solutions. Get started today. Learn more at nbsbrokerage.com. Well, I mean, it's kind of like Sun Tzu's The Art of War. If you're able to catch your enemy by surprise, and I don't mean enemy in an existential sense, and we can have the blue ocean conversation later, but the incumbent, for the purposes of this conversation, is the enemy. You're trying to beat them. You're trying to get them fired. If the enemy is unaware of your presence, it's the, the analogy that I like to use is it's like you sneak in to your nemesis's house while he's asleep. You go to his kitchen, you open his refrigerator and make yourself a turkey and cheese sandwich out of that guy's refrigerator, the guy or gal, whomever it happens to be. That's kind of what it feels like when you're working with someone else's prospect outside of the normal sales cycle. And, and so in order to get to that point, obviously the aforementioned basic body of knowledge, but what do you suggest for someone uh, who is coming from a majority person alliance uh, place of business where you know they might dabble in Main Street Bop uh, the retail uh, office service and restaurants or, or retail, R-O-S-R from my captive days. Uh, farmers beat that acronym into our heads a thousand times. At this point, I couldn't care less about that other than the service side of things because that's where a lot of these quality contractors are. So how does someone go into the process of figuring out who they want to be going after in your opinion? For you, you've got a very clearly defined target prospect. And you know you're going to lead with work comp. Maybe you'll lead with cyber depending on, you know, the approach and, and the flavor of the month. But how does someone start to move in that direction? Well, let me turn the tables on you for a second. How did you do it? You know, I never came out of the captive environment. You did. I mean, when you were in the captive environment, what was your relationship with your underwriters like? You know, did you know them well? Was it a dedicated person? And I'm sincerely asking because I don't know the answer. Uh, yeah. But it's a bit of a rhetorical question in my in my point in making it is, I, I really think if you want to figure out who your ideal prospect is, you really got to understand what it is you're selling and who you're selling it with. You know, your underwriters yeah. are partners; they're not adversaries of yours. Your first sale is always going to be to the underwriter when it comes to the placement mm -hmm. of the insurance product, and so. You know, I think that it's really, really important. Um, you know, I wish that I could tell you that I was intelligent enough that I came up with this on my own, but it was kind of one of those deals where I was the youngest guy in the office and also the low man on the totem pole when I first started in middle market as a producer. And so I was the guy that when the carriers came in, the, the agency principal and everybody else that had already cut their teeth said, hey, he's the... Um, 
he's he he he's the guy that can go with you. David will go have dinner and drinks tonight, you know, whatever else. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and sometimes even Friday, I was going to carrier dinners, and I had I knew every marketing person, every underwriter, and all of that because my, the agency that I was working with was being heavily heavily courted you know, to get contracts. And I realized that's not something that's normal, but this was also not a normal agency. They had already had a very successful run and sold and they were reconstituting and everyone knew that the business was going to be put on the book. So the carriers were lining up. It cost me a lot, man. It cost me a lot of my time. I missed a lot of time with my kids, which is one of the reasons why I got into the industry was to get away from the long hours that I was working in retail and everything else. And so I had to put a stop to it when it got to a certain point. But I can tell you that to this day, the time I spent building those relationships are invaluable. And so if you're coming over to the captive side and you have all of these carriers that you don't know anything about, you really got to learn what their appetite is, what they're doing, what the underwriters like, what their thoughts are. And the easiest way for you to do that is to meet with them and talk with them. Talk to the underwriters and ask them, hey, what is it that you're really, really good at? My favorite question to ask an underwriter to build a, a, pro, a, a prospect list is tell me something you're really, really good at, but nobody ever sends to you. I want to know what the one thing is that you never see, but you're capable of doing and you do really, really well. And if I can get that from them, I can go build a leads list off of it, start putting prospects together, go out, call on these people, start making submissions. And what else have I done when I do that? Not only do I have sort of an open book test on who I can prospect with that carrier, but I've also got the ability to hold that underwriter accountable to deliver. Because they're yep. the ones who told me they were good at it. They're the ones who told me they could get the price. And they're the ones who told me the class of business. The only reason I'm doing it is because they told me that's what they want. So if I get a quote and it's a dog, you can believe I'm going to call them and say, hey, I don't know, I guess maybe your pencil sharpener is broken or something, but we got to get that thing sharpened and figure out how we're getting to the number because you told me you were good at this and you had great pricing and I went out and got it. I did my part. Now it's time for you to do yours. Now, and in my experience... When you parrot an underwriter's own words back to them, it tends to work out very well in your favor. Uh, rather than complaining, reminding them of what they said, it's a lot harder for them to, ag you know, to argue in that situation. Um, you, you asked the question of me and then delivered some really good points there. Um, I can't say anything uh, of my own credit about the real estate investor side of things. I've told the story here on AFP uh, about how I became an expert at that over the course of uh, 18 months um, and, and got started in it purely by accident because uh, we had an individual client who owned nine rental properties at the time. Um, I actually didn't retain them as a client when I went IA. They uh, didn't reach out to me and I committed that I wasn't going to go back and call in my old farmer's book just out of, you know, good old fashioned ethics. Uh, so that person is no longer a client of ours, but uh, I got what I needed from him in that I learned the value of working with professional real estate investors and realized how hard it was to place that business because foremost was the only option available uh, as a farmer's agent. Uh, and in the open marketplace, as an independent agent, you have all the usual suspects for a dwelling fire product like, you know, Safeco and Traveler, State Auto, etc. But if someone is flipping, if someone owns an apartment complex, uh, shopping center, office building, uh, self-storage facility, those are actually fairly difficult to place for the quote unquote normal agent. So a lot of these kind of investors were frustrated with their Main Street agent not being able to deliver a good outcome in a timely manner. And you know what? I'm going to go where the competition isn't. Uh, next thing you know, our office insures a billion and a half dollars worth of investment real estate. And, you know, we haven't even really gotten started yet. I still haven't advertised. I still haven't taken <laughs> Nick Ayer's advice and put those YouTube ads together. So... Uh, that, that's really the, the real estate investor side of things. Um, the, the three points that I've, I've said very, very briefly uh, in past episodes, uh, in pieces, I think the three ingredients, and I would love to get your take on this, when you're trying to figure out the niche, niche, whatever it is, the three ingredients really are an existing body of knowledge of some kind, you know, past life or an interest or something that you enjoy talking about or have an existing knowledge base for than the volume of available prospects, because if there's only one prospect in a given vertical, I don't think that should be your niche. 
And then the third one is there needs to be sufficient meat on the bone to make it worth your time. Are you, what lines of business are you going to target? How much average uh, account revenue do you expect to get so that you can use that and reverse engineer your pipeline to get to your revenue target? That to me, that is the entire conversation of selecting a niche. Reflect on that. You know, what do you want to add to that? And where did I mess up? No, I think you've got it dialed in pretty good, man. I mean, it's not that difficult to use your library card, go to Reference USA through the online database in your local library and do a, you can create an entire leads list with search parameters. And that's going to tell you up front whether or not there's critical mass in terms of being able to go and get a, get after that business, right? So I can take any IC co- SIC code, go in, create a leads list based on the number of employees, sales, and all of that. And if it has 500, you know, service contractors, pretty pretty can be pretty sure I'm going to go after that, right? But like to your point, if you go in and there's like one or two, no, I'm not going to spin my wheels on it. I mean, I think we can get so hyper-focused in the niches that we want to, you know, work work in that it, it's detrimental, you know, unless you're going to expand to a national presence so that you can get the critical mass. Like one of the one of the best people I ever heard speak at a um, at a CIC institute way back when early on was somebody whose family had an agency and they insured carnivals. Like I would never have thought that was a thing, right? That you could actually make money. But guess what? They insured literally every carnival across the country. And they were the only ones that were insuring carnivals across the country. If they were to try and do that in their own backyard, they would have suffered tremendously because you might have like here, we have the strawberry festival or we have the state fair, two events over the course of the year. What about the rest of the time? And so they were able to make themselves a national brand. I really wish I could remember the lady's name. I'll have to go back in. It was the Agency Management Institute that I took on Altamont Springs in 2005. I know exactly when it was. I just can't remember her name. I think it was Angie something or other. But I was really impressed with what they did. Um, On the flip side, there was another guy that I heard speak at the exact same institute who talked about the most successful producer that he knew. And I think there's a lot of value in this. I'm not saying everybody needs to aspire to do this, but the general concept of this made a lot of sense to me. And it's exactly how, not exactly, but it's it's very similar to how I've built my own book. And that is this guy only had 25 accounts. Every account was at least $100,000 in agency revenue. He never quit mm. prospecting. Anytime he found an account bigger than the smallest one on his list, he would add the account to his book. He would trim the other one off and he would give it to a producer in the agency that was learning. He would split commissions with them and teach them. And then ultimately that would become their account. And I think Mm. there's a lot of wisdom in that, man. Now, the problem with that is you only have 25 accounts. It's just like I talk to people all the time about what it would be like to work for Willis, Marsh, Aon, or whoever else. You know, these big alphabet houses that prospect the Fortune 500 companies and everything. The problem is there's only 500 in the Fortune 500. So if that's who you're going after, where do you go next when you run out of that? And so, you know, I think that if you can find a healthy balance, you know, those are just two really good examples of somebody who had to go nationwide because they were hyper-focused and then somebody else who was focused more on the revenue. I don't know that it necessarily always has to be a specific class of business. I think like with workers' comp, for example, workers' comp's pretty applicable to any industry, you know. People are going to slip, trip, and fall the same in manufacturing as they are in home healthcare. I mean, a, a lot of the loss drivers and things are similar. It helps to have industry expertise, but if you're a workers' comp specialist, most of the best workers' comp specialists that I know are also generalists in terms of the industries that they have. And so if if you're looking to do something along those lines, as long as you have defined the size and shape of the account and it ties back into the hourly rate, that you're willing to work for, that's the other way you can do it. So what I'm hearing you say is you can be a niche specialist in an industry vertical, or you can become an absolute expert at one single line of business and use that to you know, be the tip of the spear, so to speak, uh, to attack the prospect and then figure out where the supporting lines of business are from there. And then obviously, you know, the lowest hanging fruit, you know, cross sell the personal lines and get access to the the team members of the company uh, to support those efforts. Um, I hadn't really thought about it in, in that direction uh, of focusing well, think, on an individual I think something probably plagues captive agents, man. Um, you know, from the friends that I have that have been captive agents, 
in just hearing about what they've gone through, not not in a like a, a bad way, like, oh my God, the death of being a captive agent. I mean, I, I understand that being independent is far more attractive and I, I would agree with that. But, you know, I feel like you're sort of, you're, you're captive to more than just the company you work for. You're captive to whatever walks in the front door to write it. I mean, that's your goal. You got to try and write anything that mm-hmm. comes in. And, you know, I think that because of that and because of how I've seen people that have come from a captive background operate until they fully embrace the fact they don't have rules anymore. You know, they yeah. don't, they're not bound. They're not bound by anything. You know, they get where I think the biggest slip up is what do I work on and what do I automate? Right. You know, I'm not going to tell you that you need to turn all the small business away. You just don't want to spend your time doing it. You know, when you define what that niche or that ideal prospect looks like, you need to invest in that. Personally, that's where you need to be. But if you have things outside of that coming in, there are a lot of different ways you can you can slice that, you know, through automation, whether it's a CRM that will automatically delegate that to somebody else that can do over-the-phone transactional type deals or you're redirecting them to an insure tech that you have a relationship with that can bind this stuff online. I mean, there's any number of ways you can do it, but I, I have to believe that's one of those things that captives struggle with is you're so used to having the pressure of having to write everything that you don't realize you don't have to. Well, and just the fact that you're allowed to tell someone to buzz off and you don't have some, you know, area sales manager getting all up in your business because you know who your business is looking for. And that person, for whatever reason, didn't pass the initial test to deserve to be in your pipeline. Because that's a foreign concept for uh, former captives and people that are, are thinking about making their freedom jump. The idea that you can decline to work with a prospect, it, it sounds like lunacy. Yeah, absolutely. So for someone who has identified their, uh, their vertical and they have done their business plan, you know, they've done the SWOT analysis, they've done... Uh, the the numbers. They've reverse engineered the pipeline. They've figured out the basics of the sales and the marketing. Where are the prospects coming from? Are you going to be a ground pounder? Are you going to be building a referral network, etc.? We're not going to get into how to do a good business plan in this episode. That's no, but an the answer is all of the above, right? The answer is all of yeah. the above. There is no one thing. Yeah, absolutely. No, the, the, the question is, once you've done the basics, once you, let's assume someone has at least uh, started their CIC, how does, how does it work ground floor? What's the first step towards having an awesome 22? Aside from get your butt out there and prospect right now, because the accounts you're prospecting now are closing in January and February. Well, I think there's two things that need to be looked at, right? Number one, what do you need to do to have an awesome 2022? But also, what do you have to do to have an awesome 2023 and beyond? And so you have to start planning for 2023 and beyond at the same time you're working on doing this stuff for 2022. I would be willing to bet that probably 80% of the people who listen to this podcast, if not more, have no content strategy in their agency whatsoever. And I can say that unequivocally on nearly any podcast I go on. So I'm not I'm not picking on you captive people. I'm not, I promise you. It's just a fact. And you know, we have been told by people for the last two decades that content marketing is where it's at. And I wholeheartedly believe in that because I've proven it. I've proven it in my own agency and I've proven it in other business ventures that I have. It works, but it's also not a very slow, uh, short-term play. It's a long-term play that you have to invest in the future for. So the reason why I bring that up is if these people are going to go through and get their CIC, there is no better way to develop your content strategy than going to get your CIC, studying your learning objectives from every single module, and writing a blog post on each one of them so that you know that you know them and you've written something on them, and then you publish that to your company's website. Now you're going to pass your module, and you're going to establish yourself as an authority and a subject matter expert because you took the time to do that. So number one, if you're going to be successful in 2022 and beyond, you have to be intentional in everything you do. We already did the uh, episode with Brandon Smith. I'm not going to say anything more about that. But you also need to have some sort of a strategy in place. I feel like everybody should have a content marketing strategy for their agency. 
I don't think it's the agency principal's job to execute it. I think it's their job to make sure that it gets executed, and they certainly can and should participate to some degree. But if you have five producers in your office and you can't get a blog post a month up, you have a problem. You should be having each one of your people that are out on the streets, public facing, creating some level of content once a week, and then getting that distributed. Why? Because when you're in a sales meeting, there is no better way for you to establish authority with someone than to explain a concept they didn't understand, and then let them know that you wrote a full article on that same subject and you will happily send them the link when you get back. Number one, it establishes credibility for you. Number two, you can see whether or not they went there. You can see if they clicked the link in the email and then you can chase them around your website to see how much more of your content you're consuming. But if you don't realize that in 2021 right now that you don't have to worry about a resume anymore, your resume exists online 24-7, 365 through your blog, your website, and your LinkedIn profile, you need to start with that stuff before you do anything else because otherwise you you are building your foundation out of sand. And when it comes to creating this content, uh, that is a factor, a factor, I should say, of what we've already talked about, of selecting your niche, of figuring out what do you want to do? What do you want your brand to be? Who do you want to be reading or listening or watching this stuff that you're putting out? Because, I mean, matching the content strategy to the audience I mean, you've said it, Marcus Sheridan has said it, um, you know, the other, Jeb Blunt from Sales EQ, uh, Simon Sinek, I mean, everybody has said it. If your audience is not, uh, excuse me, if your content is not explicitly designed for your target audience, it's going to be a lot less effective because it's either going to be very generic or it's going to be completely irrelevant to someone. Uh, there's nothing unique about it and it doesn't serve its purpose. So these things that we've been talking about really all play together, Freedom Jumpers. You can't have one without the other. You don't get to skip to step three. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And the thing is, you know, we get so caught up in making this way more difficult than it needs to be. This is not difficult, right? I get praised so much because several times when I've spoken in, in public to groups, I give them, you know, a hack, on how to get your content strategy. I just gave you one that I use and, and have always used in my in my agency, and that is use your CIC in, in the learning objectives to create content around. That's brilliant, by the way. But the other one is, um, how about an old-fashioned pad and paper next to the phones so that every... And you can translate into this, this into Slack channels and anything else you want to, but how about anytime somebody calls, you know, you have your clients call in and they ask the same question twice, somebody writes that down, right? You're going to have some one-offs, but if every time a question is asked twice, somebody writes it down and you create content around that, there's a high likelihood there are other people out there who have that same question. And now you yep. can have them find it on Google, right? More, more than likely, they went to Google to find you how much better would it be if they found you because they found your answer to the question and they already know you know what you're talking about. They're just ready to buy. I, I will say I have some content for my target verticals for specifically for roofers is the first example that comes to mind. And we have this year, we've had four accounts that came to us inbound through the YouTube channel because they went looking for something and they found it on our YouTube channel and they called the office and said, hey, can you help me with this? They were already sold when they picked up the phone. It was already done. All we had to do was match the right carrier, the right coverage. They were done it, because the content answered the question. It helped them with the solution to the problem. And as our mutual friend Ryan Hanley has said, when you have good content out there on the internet, it is a marketing machine 24-7, 365. And I know David and I have too much love for our families and our, our personal life. We're not working anything close to 24-7, 365, especially not next June when we're both sitting on a beach in Key West or <laughs> deep sea fishing or something, whenever that ends up happening. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's true, man. And, and I say it a little differently. I say every time you write a blog post, you've hired a salesperson to work for you on the internet 24-7, 365. So if you write 300 blog posts this year, you've hired 300 producers for you. 
The question yeah. is, how good are they? They're going to be as good as you're willing to make them by the amount of time you invest into creating that content. Pencil whipping your content's no different than pencil whipping your CE. If you don't put the time and energy in it to do it right and make it 100% absolutely perfect before you put it out, you're not going to get the best results. So don't pencil whip it. Take the time. If you only have to put, if, if you have, let's just say you have a five-person office, four-person office to make it better because then it can work out to one a week. And you only have to get one blog post up on the website a week, which is fine. I think that if you get a, a decent flow going, that's great to start out with. If you want to do more, do more, but don't do more until you prove that you can have the consistent stream of content going. Get it in your people's head that you want one a week. That means that if you have four producers that are part of your content strategy, you only have to write one blog post per month. If you're yep. going to write one blog post per month, you can make that the best blog post, period. And then get it up once a week. But make it to where when you answer the phone, I, I, I just can't say enough times, make it to where when you answer the phone, they're ready to buy. They already, I mean, Marcus wrote a book on it. He wrote a second book on it. You know, I've been doing this probably since around the time Marcus started. I mean, I was an early adopter of social media marketing back in the early 2000s. I was I was on LinkedIn when LinkedIn had nobody on it. And I saw the potential of it and I knew that it was going to turn into something and as a result, I invested in it. Well, guess what? Now I have people every day that are like, "How do you have so much stuff on LinkedIn? How do you do this?" I'll quote the guy that we had on our podcast, Brian Will, the author of The Dropout Multimillionaire. This mm -hmm. is what we call the 20-year overnight success story. Yeah. I didn't just come out of nowhere, people. I've been working for 20 years to do this. It's just finally the flywheel caught some momentum. Now, the concept of the flywheel, of incremental, consistent effort, ultimately having massive payoff, I think that is definitely something that people need to be familiar with because... It is social media it is so easy to get the wrong idea because I mean you're you're watching everyone's movie trailer. I mean, how many times have we seen a, a trailer and thought, "Oh, this is going to be great! I'm really excited for this movie," and then you watch the movie and realize that the best two minutes of the entire movie were in the trailer. So yeah. you know, don't don't listen. What, what was that phrase? I forget. It was some pastor that I, I I heard this inspirational thing. You know, stop judging your movie against someone else's trailer. Yeah. I'm like, that's really good. I need to remember that because it can be so easy to fall into the comparison loop and get disillusioned and feel like we're not doing what we should do or chasing shiny object syndrome, uh, as you've said a thousand times. Uh, I, I think vision and clarity and focus are obviously super important as we look forward to 22 and beyond. Uh, I think to kind of coalesce and, and land the plane in this episode, now, from getting your baseline knowledge put together and then figuring out what is the vertical, what's the direction you want to go, and then figuring out the activity that needs to be placed in behind that. The last thing I think would just be intentionality on where are you in the process? You know, do you know your numbers? Do you know what is effective for your operation? Where do you have the highest closing ratio? Where do you have the highest value, the highest profit uh, of the accounts that you're closing? And then, you know, you and I may not be able to do what David does to the level that he does with HubSpot, you know, ninja remarketing. Uh, the, the level of big brother that he can be to people is kind of scary uh, with following them around the Internet and, you know, merge fields and tags and remarketing and everything. So it seems like he is literally over their shoulder every second of the day. But you sure can feel that way if you are paying close attention to the actions that people take and the words that they tell you in conversation. So um, I know we could talk about this for, for a very, very long time, well into 22 and beyond. Uh, did we miss anything? What, what do you want to add to the, the conversation before we wrap up, David? I don't know, man. I think we I think we hit on pretty much everything we probably should for this episode. Otherwise, we're opening up a rabbit hole that will take far too long for us to wrap up. Yeah. And you know what? The time is perfect. And I honestly have no idea why it always ends up being between 50 minutes and an hour, but it just seems like every single episode comes to a natural conclusion somewhere in that 10 minute window. So wh whatever, I don't know what to say there. Probably the last thing I would say just from a, a challenge is 
whatever you're doing in 22, as you prepare for 22, you've got to be intentional because the time moves so quickly. And if you are a dead fish floating downstream, it'll be Q2 before you know it. And you're already behind your numbers and then you're scrambling. And then from there, it's just downhill because desperation stinks. And the moment you start getting desperate, you stop following the plan. So know your numbers and stay in front of it and be intentional. And you'll probably have a great 22. Yep. You know, the other thing I would say is, and this is going to be a shameless plug, but also not really because I feel like that the group that put this together is made an invaluable asset for um, anybody who's willing to devote the time to invest in themselves. And that is we're getting ready to launch season two of the protege. And if you did not watch season one and you are coming into the independent channel and you want to move into commercial, it is literally a blueprint that you can follow episode by episode and learn everything that we talked about at a high level today. And then some, and we're going to have season two is going to start uh, filming right after the first of the year. And you can be sure that by March or April, the episodes will be airing. But we're doing the live draft, actually, on Tuesday, the uh, 7th of November. I'm uh, sorry, December. December. Yeah, so like December. We're this recording this on a Friday. And so, yeah, by the time that people listen to this on the 24th, we'll already have the draft figured out. We have the live draft figured out. I've already got a massive curveball I'm throwing in the draft that nobody a very select few people know about. So it's going to definitely well, amp up keep the in mind, a little bit. Keep in mind, you can share the, the curveball because when this airs, it's already two weeks after the draft happened. Oh, got it. Yeah. So basically, um, somehow, I don't know how, but somehow this has picked up like a WWE theme to it. Like it's getting a real WWE vibe at this point <laughs> from IPFs, IPFS just randomly making championship belts with, you know, the protege logo on it and showing mm. up to innovation with them, which I had nothing to do with. Like that just happened. Like I had nothing to do with it. And mm. a couple of the people who like, so Derek Hayden had gone out and made his own belt after he won just because he wanted one. And then I had like two or three people that put their submissions in, had like wrestling themed submissions to audition. And so I'm like, you know what? I can either fight this or I can go with it, but I'm going to go with it. So there's going to be some things that are like surprises. So one of the things that we're going to do, I'll give you a little bit, but I'm not giving you the whole thing. Um, we are going to have, we have 15 finalists and they are entering in the draft thinking that three of them are going to be eliminated and we're going to have three teams of four. What they don't know is I have two surprise coaches that nobody knows about that are going to come out of the woodwork live on the draft and they're going to take the three people nobody else wanted plus a ringer that was a fan favorite from season one and they're going to formulate a fourth team. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Well, I'm going to have to watch now because now you've piqued my interest on who these people might be. No, that's fantastic. Absolutely. No, I, I got to say, just as a, as a as side, it has nothing to do with this conversation. I did not know her prior to Tampa. I had never been face-to-face, -face, had only had group conversations. But Ciara from the bunker, Gravier, is that how I say her last name? Gravier. Gravier. Yeah. Holy crap, man. I love her. Rock solid. Like, she and I became like brother and sister, fast friends in Tampa. We hung out at that McGillicuddy's or whatever that pub McDenton's. was. McDenton's. Yeah. And Where I met my wife. Yes. My gosh, what a quality human being. I mean, her and Jordan and their whole tribe, like I love everything about Dude, them. Dude, it's everybody in Killing Commercial, man. It's not limited to her. That's the whole thing. You know, you got to finally you got to finally experience being around the community that I get to be around all the time virtually. I, I've gotten to see each of you individually in person, but what you got was a just a tiny little taste of what Key West will be like in the summer. Whew. And that's why that I, group is so tight, man, because we got we the the people that came to Key West with us last summer have a different bond than those who didn't and it doesn't mean that one's better than the other it's just a different bond and it is a it's a familial bond well i th i think the thing about cr that i found to be so refreshing is i'd literally never had one-on-one -on -one contact with her you know whether it's dan smith or mike carrier all the other usual suspects you know mr Gurley, whatever uh, there's been a lot of dialogue over the months and years 
literally never had contact with her. And then out of nowhere, it's like, holy crap, you're one of my new favorite people ever. So, I mean, the killing commercial thing is an entirely different subject because if you're going to drop thousands of dollars on a top shelf coaching program, then that's a different audience entirely. Most of those people probably aren't listening to this podcast. But the value that I did not know I was going to get really is just these offline ad hoc conversations that are sprinkled throughout the weeks and months and years that nobody really talks about when they're talking about the program. It's, oh, hey, you get access to David, you get some great content, you get the social channel, uh, you know, the exclusive stuff that happens on the, the website with the message boards and whatnot. The real value is the relationships that naturally form on their own offline. So I mean, not to turn this into a killing commercial uh, commercial um, or advertising. No, but it's, it, but it explains the importance of having a group of people that you know that you can be real with, that you can trust, that's going to give you feedback honestly, whether it's what you want to hear or not. Yeah. I think everybody in this industry needs that. And I would encourage them if, if they don't have a group like that, they can join. They should start one. Absolutely. You know, that's that's the missing piece from this episode is simply saying, if you want to reach your goals and exceed them in 22, make sure you find yourself a tribe of people that are smarter than you in different ways, people that will drive you to be the best version of yourself and hold you accountable when you phone it in. Because I know if I stepped out of line, I'm going to get a call from you or a text or, or whatever, and probably a half dozen other people are going to go, what are you doing? What, what's going on here? And without that, who knows where I'd be? I have no idea. If it weren't for IAOA and killing and what you and I are, are you know, helping build together in this community, I honestly have no idea what, what Riskwell, my team, my family would even look like. So I, that, that's a whole other thing. We're definitely chasing rabbits now. We just crossed over an hour with the little rambling that you and I just did about uh, That's why I told you we shouldn't talk about anything else, man. We, we, every time we start. Yeah, we got to shut it down, man. It's been an hour and two minutes. So, uh, hey, this is uh, this has been a wonderfully random uh, and, and rambling conversation with a lot of gold nuggets just kind of nestled in there. Uh, at this point, people know where they can find you, killingcommercial.com. And obviously, you're an open connector uh, on social. Let me save you from saying what you've said several times before. Uh, if, uh, if they connect with you, they will see all kinds of random stuff about your family and grilling and whatever else. Uh, you find yourself into uh, on a you know lots of different content here. So uh, anything else before we wrap this thing? Nope. Had a pleasure, man. Really appreciate you having me on. Always a great time talking with you. I can't think of a better way to spend an hour and four minutes on a Friday afternoon. So, hey, for those of you that are listening to this when it is dropping on the 24th, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas weekend. Uh, the fact that a lot of people are going to hear this on Christmas Eve just warms my heart a little bit because I'm a huge softy for the Christmas holiday. So to you and yours, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah a couple of weeks ago, all of those things. And we will catch you again next time, boys and girls. Y'all take care. Thanks for listening to the Agency Freedom Podcast. Please subscribe to AFP on your favorite podcasting platform to get automatic updates on every new episode and help other people find us organically. If you like the content you hear, please drop us a quick review and tell the world what you like best. Most importantly, please share agency freedom with someone you know who is still on the captive side of the insurance world. They'll thank you later. You can connect with other Freedom Jumpers, ask questions, get advice, and share your best practices in our Facebook group. Just type Agency Freedom Podcast in the search bar. Visit our website at agencyfreedompodcast.com to sign up for our email list and get access to exclusive resources and sign up to be a potential future guest on the show. We welcome your comments, feedback, and ideas. Email podcast at riskwell.com and we'll look forward to hearing from you. Agency Freedom Podcast, where we help our listeners go from captive to indie to market domination. Until next time, let's go.